this morning, future focus, uh, what I'm going to be sharing this morning has been in the making for the last couple of years, really, and, uh, and more intensively so uh, over the last 12 to 15 months. Uh, there are two strands that have, have led up today, uh, led up to today. One of those strands began here on the 15th of May, 2016. We had one of those gatherings of a number of churches that we sometimes have here, as churches came together from across the county, and a guest speaker called Martin Dunkley, who read to us from Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verses 8 to 15. And it was was an inflection point for the life of our church. He spoke that message to a group of churches gathered together and then took me to one side afterwards and said, really, that's a word for your church. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, it says this. This is a word of God coming to the people of Israel. It says, observe all the commands I'm giving you today so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, and so that you may live long in that land that the Lord swore to your forefathers to give to them and to their descendants a land flowing with milk and honey. So there's this promise of entering into a much better place. And then it says this, verse 10, the land that you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you've come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden. The land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It is a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. And the thing that Martin drew out from this passage for us was the contrast between how water worked in Egypt, where the Nile flooded once a year and people built little walls to capture the water and then had to actively move that water around to all the places that it was needed, and the land of Canaan, where the rains came. And the contrast was between needing to make things work and being able to rely on God's goodness towards us. It was really an illustration of the simple gospel, which is that we are saved by the grace of God as we trust in God. It was about a shift from pumping water through ditches and human effort towards embracing God's provision and enjoying his effort. And Martin said to us, to sum all of that up, God wants to upgrade you. God wants to upgrade you. And he began to pray that there will be all manner of things that will be upgraded in our experience, but not by our hard work, but through the blessing of God. So Um, there's a bit of a picture of what God began to stir in us 
that we would experience rain from heaven. And that, that brings about a new season. It brings about joy and excitement. And over the last couple of years, those of you who've been around for the last couple of years will know that there has been a shift in the, the atmosphere of our church. Uh, just last weekend, John and Non Bilson, who we sent out to plant a church in Paris eight, nine years ago, maybe longer, um, they come back and they're here with us from time to time. They were with us about 18 months ago. They were with us about three years ago. And uh, they said to me, you know, something's changed around here. They said, you know, when we came three years ago, you know, it was home church for us and it was nice to meet with people. But when we came 18 months ago, something had really shifted spiritually. There was a life around uh, and and, an expectation and trusting God more than there had been. But they said, last Sunday, they said, but something, it's gone way further. Something's changed in this church. Over, the, over that time. So something began about three years ago which is making a difference. That's one strand. That's a, a general strand around the atmosphere, if you like, the spirit of our church. There's another strand which will take me a little bit longer to explain, which is around specifics. More around what is actually going to happen. What are we actually going to do? What are we actually going to see God provide? Uh, Who remembers what the big vision of OCC was when when the church was first planted? Go on, Keith. Building family. Horrible phrase of infected students. (laughs) Ongoing. Yeah. So if you didn't catch that, the founding vision of OCC was called a big vision, and it had three specifics to it. Building family, that is, we were never just going to be a church that ran good Sunday services and then said goodbye to each other for the week, but we're going to be community together. Uh, Great phrase, infecting students, uh, probably wouldn't pass a brand manager today. Uh, But it was about something getting into young lives that they wouldn't be able to get rid of something of the life of God, and going to the nations. Uh, and for many years, those were, the thing, those, those were the key specific things that we knew as a family, church family, we needed to receive grace from God to see those things come to, ha- uh, come to pass. As time went by, there were other specifics that came along. This is the building in which we're sat. Uh, who was part of a church before we had this place? Yeah. So talk to any of these people about what it was like to be nomadic and, and not to have a home and the excitement that there was when God led us to this location and made provision for us to be here. There's a specific thing that happened. That's an aerial photo of the Lees. We have the Lees Community Church with us. And uh, just after the turn of the millennium, one of a whole number of specific things God has done was this he gave us the ability to plant a church in Blackbird Lees and Greater Lees. Um, here's another thing. It's another building that represents a school community. Uh, who here has been to Tyndale Community School physically? Okay, talk to any of these people about what that's like. Some of you will remember when oh, God spoke a word to us about there being a school in Oxford. And we began to pray. Who was part of the prayer meeting that went on regularly to pray? Oh Lord, would you do it? Well, that school has been up and running since 2013 and is nearly full. 
These are some specific things that God has done. Then a few years ago, um, asking the question, we got the school up and running, and the question came up again, so, so God, what do you have for us next? And we were then very much in a season of trying to get our heads around missional communities, and we made this statement. So you might even remember that picture. That was three or four years ago. Growing communities that bring heaven to earth. And this has been, uh, I think, more of a challenge. And I don't know if you can see that in the very bottom right-hand corner, but some of you, it probably exists in the building somewhere still. Some of you will remember that in an attempt to bring the actions that might lead to growing communities home for us, we had a thing with Lego, which we built week by week on a Sunday morning. Um, Now then, there is a problem. The problem is that as I've begun to get more specific... More and more people here will have started to have more and more sceptical thoughts. So to say, oh, God is good, he's going to do good things. Oh, yes, yes, that's right. When we start to talk about specific things that God's going to do that involve us and shape our lives and say, God's going to do this thing, he's going to start a school or he's going to give us communities that grow with new birth, there's much more scope for scepticism to kick in. And instead of saying, oh, yes, that's what God does, instead to say, well, let's let's see, shall we? Uh, About 15 months ago, um, some of the church leadership team were in this place with this man. This place is near Wantage. It's called Charney Manor. And that is Dave Oliver. Dave Oliver is uh, a businessman and a yachtsman, actually, and also uh, has a prophetic gift. He is the the person who was invited to sit with the Salt and Light uh, Family of Churches national team to help make sure that we listen to the prophetic word. So he's got a number of gifts. And we invited him to sit with some of this church's leadership team and help us work out how we would move forward together into all the things that God had for us as he was speaking about an upgrade. He did a very thorough process. He invited all of the members of the leadership team to fill in a lengthy questionnaire. He got uh, a friend of his, who I think is the chief executive of a county council somewhere, to look through those and cast uh, an eye with good judgment over what that might mean. He invited one group of Uh, prophetically gifted people to pray through the results of those questionnaires and surveys and another group of prophetically gifted people to pray with no knowledge of what they were praying for and out of all of that came to our gathering in this if it looks a bit love nice there actually that's the room we were actually in which isn't in the lovely jacobean manner but this is where we gathered and dave said to us in this place um i have a problem well you know he said you have a problem with vision. So the thing is, um, you've got this, at this point he said, you've got this, this lovely vision statement of growing communities that bring heaven to earth. He said there's two problems with it. Uh, one is that none of you really know what it means. Or more accurately, you all think it means different things. And you're excited about doing it the way that you think it means. That is you're not agreed on what you're doing really. You've got a few fine-sounding words. But you're not actually agreed on what you're doing. 
He said, this is why it's not happening and, and isn't going to happen. You've got a vision that will not come to pass. That was a little bit challenging. <laughs> and then he had more to say. He said another thing. He said, I'm only, he said, I'm only reflecting back to you what I pick up from what you've said. And it's also the case that you are a medium-sized church that consistently tries to act like a big church. And the right word to describe that is overreach. You try to do too much, and much of it you therefore don't do well or see through to its conclusion. Your vision will not come to pass. Ha. Well, that was, a, that was a little bit of smelling salts at the beginning of a couple of days' retreat together. But by the grace of God, he's moved us, us on. What became very clear uh, over the following months as we reflected on that is it's not just enough when we think of the future to say what we will do. It's not enough just to say what it is that we're going to be about, what our plans will be, what our focus will be on. If we go back to the story that Deuteronomy introduced of entering into the promised land, there were a couple of key events that took place, and they're recorded for us in Joshua chapter 5. Before going to take possession of any of this land that was given, before entering into the fresh blessings that lay before the people, there were some important spiritual lessons concerning humility and concerning who's really in charge. Let me read to you Joshua chapter 5. It says, when they, this, At this point, the people had already crossed to the Jordan and they were on the verge of going further. And it says, When uh, all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we'd crossed over, their hearts sank and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. That is, much as God had parted the Red Sea to get the people of Israel out of Egypt, he stopped up the Jordan to enable them to make the next geographic move, and everyone's afraid of them, and you'd have thought, this is the moment to just head on in. Right at this moment, when everyone's trembling, everyone's afraid, let's just sweep into the land and, and take it. But this is what it says next. At that time... The Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Harloth. And that place became called Gilgal because of what that meant. And it says there in verse 8, after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained there where they were in the camp until they were healed. This is an unusual step forward in a military uh, campaign. It was something that God wanted to do to establish a right understanding of what was most important. And then a few verses later, we have the leader, Joshua, leading the people towards the first city that they needed to address, Jericho, 
And it says this, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked him, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Fair question. And he replied, neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him another question. What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So what we have here is the need ahead of making the progress into the future that God has promised them, we have humility and rest. A slowing down of human energy in order to fall face down before God and allowing him to touch us in painful ways. Dave Oliver wasn't done with telling us about our lack of focus and our overreach. He had something else that he got us to see. He asked um, those leaders that were gathered to talk about how we all felt about that leadership team. And there was, there was almost unanimous agreement about something else very important. Uh, and that agreement was that the team was unable to step into the future promises of God for OCC. I say there was near unanimous agreement because I stood alone in disagreeing. I thought that all of the rest of them were wrong. And that was an awkward Monday or Tuesday evening, whichever the first evening was. We went to our beds. And the next morning, Dave sat us down and said, we need to follow up on that. And to do so, he asked me, as the person that stood out from the rest, to say, well, what kind of team would I want to lead? And I spoke about a team that were selfless. I spoke about a team that cracked on with delivering on the goals that God had given us. And then Dave asked everyone else there to give a show of hands for who wanted to be on that team. Not a single hand went up. No one wanted to be on that team. And so what began that morning, that day, was a process of softening of me. Uh, it's a process of softening and of humbling, of God cutting things that are painful to bring me to a place of increased humility and rest in the sense of trusting God's activity, not us cracking on. Last spring, about a year ago, I spent a, a whole evening saying sorry to the church's leadership team for the mistakes that I'd made in the way that I was leading. And a process unfolded over several months in which God dealt with us quite deeply. We spent another evening, for example, in which all the men 
kept quiet, and we spent the whole evening listening to what women in the team had to say about how well the men listened to them normally. There's been much personal change all around uh, in 2018. Uh, Eileen spoke wonderfully here just recently about, about your experience in 2018. Very different story, but in spending the calendar year undergoing cancer treatment, also a testimony to the deep dealings of God. God has chosen to do this work. And God has been gracious Um, It won't surprise you to know that after that second day with Dave Oliver, when no one wanted to be on my team, uh, I went home and I uh, talked with Bev about how straightforward it would be to sack everybody. (laughs) (laughs) And it's been quite a journey. You know, if the changes that God was after were simple, we'd have done them already. If they were not painful, uh, we'd have embraced them years ago. So it's not been straightforward. And I haven't... You know that thing where you you don't know what you don't know? There's there's things that you don't know, but you know you don't know them, and you can think about them. And there's things that you don't know you don't know, and you can't even think about them because you don't know that they're there to be known. Well, there's quite a bit of that going on for me, was quite a bit of that going on for me, and I'm sure for others as well. And God has been gracious. Last April, I was in Africa, where I met an American who lives in India, whom I just felt I would like to have dinner with. We were at the same conference. And he agreed to have dinner with me. And then it turned out that he is a very highly skilled and gifted Uh, personal and leadership coach who charges a lot of money for his services but who offered his services to me for free and has walked me through quite a lot of the personal change that God's been after. Now, these things are an ongoing process. Uh, I am not yet perfect. You know, give it till June or so. Uh, You know, none of us are yet perfect. But something's changed. You know, and, and I don't think that is disconnected from the change of atmosphere that we experience. That God is doing a deep work in individuals' lives chimes with the fact that there is a difference in atmosphere. It's very much like the story of entering the promised land. There's a promised future, going to live by grace. God's going to provide. It's not going to be by our work, it's going to be by His work. So, flint knives. So, holy ground. I want to hand out to you a piece of paper which you are going to spend longer looking at than you believe. If I tell you, we hand out bits of paper, you're going to spend a long time looking at this piece of paper. I'm just telling you. Because. God has helped us to put some of these things together. I hope I get the numbers of these about right. This is a picture, and there's some text on the other side as well. This is a picture of some of the things that went on in entering the promised land. And there's some text on the other side too. 
There's quite a lot going on here. You'll recognise now that the picture that I had around humility and rest is a part of this picture. There are other parts to this picture as well. There are some strongholds. There are some hills to the left. And uh, on the back, there's some explanation of what some of those things are. Some of you are looking at the picture and you're like, pictures are good. Some of you are going, this makes no sense to me. Where is some words? Actually, this piece of paper relates to all that I'm saying today and all that will also be said next week. So this is trying to bring a lot of different things together. And what I want to do to just help orientate you to what's going on here is to see that there are three substantial areas of that picture um, that we can see on three themes. I've already highlighted the thing about Gilgal and Joshua bowing down, face down, before the commander of the Lord's army. Um, That's the two things towards the bottom left corner. Towards the bottom right, there's a few strongholds. I'm going to be speaking more about those strongholds this morning. And then the hills to the left are to do with the focus of future activities. And I'm not going to say anything more about those this morning, but that will be what we consider next Sunday morning. So that's to orientate you to it. Um, After falling face down, the next thing that happens in the story of entering the promised land is a confrontation with the walled city of Jericho, and not long after that, another walled city of Ai. And see, there were, there were fortifications in the land that resisted the Israelites moving in, and they needed to be addressed. Uh, before Easter, we had a series of Sunday mornings looking at spiritual battle, which sprang out of the end of our previous series on Ephesians. Because in Ephesians chapter 6, it says our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. We looked at elements of that spiritual battle. And one of those things was looking at what are called strongholds. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it describes strongholds that lift themselves up against the truth about God. These are ways of thinking that resist the truth about God. And as we have considered what is it that would resist change for us? What is it that would stand in the way of us moving forward into all that God has promised to us? Uh, There are some strongholds. That's the four goals. We'll talk about that next week. Strongholds. Here we go. These three things, and I'm going to spend the rest of my time this morning unpacking these three things. Number one, me first. Number two, them and us. Number three, anything goes. You know, when Dave Oliver said to us, you've got these two issues, one of which is you're not focused on what you really mean when you talk about vision. You don't really know what it is, practically, And when he said to us, you you try to do too much. Another way of describing those two things would be to say that as a church, we have had two problems. One is an an inability to agree with each other quite what we're doing. 
that lack of focus of, you know, what exactly are we going to do? You know, it's easier to speak in sort of slightly arm-waving, out-of-focus ways that leaves room for everybody to think it means what they think it should mean. That's easier than finding agreement on what we're going to do. So another way of saying the same thing would be an inability to find agreement together as a community. And that overreach could also be described as an inability to agree, but that inability is about an an inability to agree with God, who prepares good works for us to do of just the right measure. So we have a challenge of agreeing with one another and agreeing with God. And these strongholds touch on these things. This phrase then, me first, speaks about self-reliance and says, if I try hard enough, if only I try hard enough, if only I knew enough stuff, I could do it all by myself. Now, to be clear, this stronghold and the others that we'll look at are not I'm not having a downer on OCC, on the community that we are together. I'm not saying that every other church in the city is just tickety-boo, but we've got some issues. No. The reality is that these issues are... These are aspects of the culture of the society in which we live. And in particular, in Oxford, there's a strong, confident humanism that says, just train me up and then I'll go and save the world. You know, once I've developed in my profession, then I'll go out and then I'll make the difference and then you'll know who I am and then we'll be okay. And it's not a Christian way of doing things. Joshua was perhaps tempted towards that as he approached Jericho. Ah, the people are afraid of us. We've got the stuff. We know what to do. Off we go. If someone stands in his way, he goes, what are you doing there? In my way. And the commander of the Lord's army is, oh, Joshua. <laughs> no. It's not that way round. Are you going to line up with me? I'm going somewhere. Are you going to join in with, with what the Lord has? So not me first, but um, God first. And, and, and it's a corporate thing as well. Here's a verse that will help us. Ephesians 2, chapter 10, which is all, that beginning bit of Ephesians is all about the grace of God in Christ. It says this in chapter 2 and verse 10, we are God's handiwork. That is to say, uh, God is the creator and God is the worker. And it is not the case that we have to build something up and then remind God that he should bless it. But rather, as the Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. As it says in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 3, you know, one person waters, another another one person plants, another person waters, but God's the one that makes it grow. There's a power that God reserves to himself. And it's not even that God gives each one of us things to do, but right through this passage, it's a plural uh, teaching. That is to say, we are God's handiwork. 
God's grace is given to us. There's another tendency in the society in which we live to take everything and make it all, making it all about me, to think of it very individually. And in our Christian lives, we can sometimes think, well, praise the Lord that he saved me. Jesus died for me. God has called me. God has a perfect plan for me. Please, God, help me find the things that you have for me to do. And the scripture says, we are God's handiwork, which provokes us to say, thank you, God, that you have saved us. Thank you, God, that you are changing us. Thank you, God, that you've prepared things for us to do. Would you please help us? There's a stronghold here. Something in the wider culture around us that isn't just out there, but has got into our hearts. And we're never going to get to a place of agreeing together what to do, or agreeing with God what to do, if there's a stronghold that's got into us, that says it's me first, me, me, me. We need the grace of God, and the power of God, to see this stronghold torn down. And the great thing is that the scriptures promise that strongholds will be torn down. The way it works is that the knowledge of God comes along and it sweeps through and it knocks down the walls and the truth about God that he made us and that he's called us together comes through like a wave that the walls have no strength against. And God can and will demolish this stronghold and leave us different as a result with new ability to follow him and a new ability to be together that we never before knew. Uh, Going back to Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, where it talks about personal change in people, it talks about putting off the old, being renewed in your mind, and putting on the new. So the old that needs to be put off cast aside and repented for is is anything about thinking that we are the centre of God's universe, me personally, that I am the centre of God's universe. That there's then a renewing of our minds that needs to happen, and that comes through the scriptures, like this one here. We We can experience a renewal of our mind as we meditate on this truth about God. There's many more like it, but this one will do. Be renewed as we embrace the truth that we're God's handiwork. And then there's something to put on, which speaks about changed lives, about living differently. So I've got a couple of suggestions just to make this concrete. Seeking God's perspective. This is, instead of saying, Lord, I know what I'm about, would you bless it? Saying, Lord, what is it that, what is it that you want? And taking time to slow down and to find God's perspective. Here's another thing, prioritizing communal activities over individual ones. I trust those make sense. I think we need to be honest that for many of us, we just frankly don't want to do those things straight up. 
interesting words, but, but <laughs> do we actually want to do, do we want to see this stronghold gone? Well, when you think about putting things off, being renewed, well, praise the Lord, he does those things, but, but actually living differently, um, it begins to become clear what, what, what the, the substance of the strongholds might be in our lives. I need to keep going. Here's the second thing, this thing, them and us. Could be put this way, our way is the best way. Let's make friends with people who are just like us. Now, in its strongest forms, this could be racism. There are many gentler forms in which we think of people who are culturally different to us, or perhaps the, a, a different gender to us, or come from a different kind of place in the, in the, of wealth and social standing. And it's really easy to, look down, to find things that justify looking down on others. And here's a scripture, Romans 2.11. God has no favorites. He doesn't prefer our music over that of, I don't know, a Nigerian church meeting just up the road. Uh, God doesn't prefer our coffee to other people's. Doesn't, I, mean, I, I don't know what, what trivial things or what substantial things might lead us to be proud and to think that we've got it together in a way that other people should be more like us. But, but it is a stronghold of pride. It says, there's us and there's them, and praise God that I'm in the us and leave them out there. The truth is that all Christians are alike renewed in God's image. And we have things to learn from Christians of every other culture. The first of my practical suggestions here, uh, Dan has already explained very, very well this morning, but just find a way to serve other people. There's no better way to come down off your um, high pedestal of pride than to do something to serve other people. And frankly, the more, more menial, the better. You know, if, if you can find a toilet that belongs to someone that really needs cleaning, it will do your soul good. If you are a proud person, find a toilet. <laughs> Go clean it. I mean, frankly, just do take a bucket to a motorway service station and just take a low place. Find a way to serve. As I said, Dan's drawn out the scriptures already very well for us this morning. Here's another thing, and I've said this a couple of times in the last few weeks. Visit a church beyond your normal relationships. Uh, in this city, there are you know, there's a Nepalese church, Brazilian churches, Nigerian churches, Kenyan churches, all kinds of different churches, which are quite different from us. There are also the longer-standing uh, old English churches that are different in other ways. Uh, and then there are churches a bit further afield. So there was an invitation earlier uh, not to stay in bed on Sunday the 12th of May in two weeks' time, but to get to Bista. I hope you will, because it speaks against the idea that you know, we're better than... Why would I... You know, what, um, what's that? Naaman, the leper, when he gets the word of the Lord that says, go wash in the Jordan. He goes, what do I want to do that for? Do we not have better rivers in my own nation, he says, than going to the River Jordan? Maybe that's how you feel about going to Bista. Uh, and Naaman was proud. 
So stop it. <laughs> and go. Well, I, I mean, Bista would be great, but just step outside of what you think of as your, you know, the best little enclave that you might have found yourself. And I trust that that is clear. And here's the third thing. Anything goes, which amounts to saying God's way is optional. People can do whatever they want. This is very much an aspect of the culture in which we live, isn't it? We've lost count of the time people have said to us, well, that's lovely for you. You know, I'm glad that's your truth for you, but it's not, it's not working for me. Which means that anything goes. People can do whatever they like. But Proverbs 1 says that it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. To put it another way, it's God who knows better than us what's best. He just knows better. And wise people will acknowledge that, much as Joshua did as he fell face down. Here's a couple of practical suggestions. Engage in a personal MOT with your past. And what I mean by this is, you know, sometimes in our relationships with other people, um, when we're considering being vulnerable and considering being open to change, we set the agenda and we say to other people, oh, I think, I think there's something that I ought to be changing. And we might even be brave enough to get to the point of saying to someone, there's a thing that God wants to change in me. I'm finding it a challenge. Could you hold me accountable? Praise God for that. There's another thing beyond that, which is to sit with someone you trust and who loves you, which is, I hope, what the word pastor sounds like to you. Sit with someone you love and someone you trust. And you know, someone with a bit of pastoral gift is quite helpful too. And say to them, what do you see that needs to change in me? Is there, is there anything that they see that's a blind spot for you? Invite that question. I don't think you've got anything to lose by doing so, because they'll either be, if they say something, they'll either be right or they'll be wrong. And if, if they're wrong, you've not lost anything. You've maybe just exposed a bit of their prejudice concerning you, and that's helps you to know how to pray for them, so that's quite good. <laughs> and if they hit the nail on the head and they say something that's true that you'd not seen, then you will grow in godliness and in obedience to the Lord and all the blessings that follow from that. So I don't know why you wouldn't do that. And what's the other thing? It is, oh yeah, uh, when, where needed, choose to submit. I've, I jumped over in my notes a quote from a book called The Pursuit of God, written by A.W. Tozer back in the 1940s. And he says this, and I think it applies to all of these strongholds and the things that God wants to change in us. He says this, there is a close woven veil of self-life in us. There is a close woven veil of self-life in us of which we have been secretly ashamed, and which for that reason we have never brought to the cross of Christ. But we must invite the cross to do its work in us. When we talk of this, we speak of it poetically, almost pleasantly, but there is nothing pleasant about it. In human experience, this veil of self-life is made of living spiritual tissue. It is composed of the quivering stuff of which our whole being consists 
And to touch it is to touch where we feel pain. To tear it away is to injure us, to hurt us, and to make us bleed. To say otherwise is to make the cross no cross and death no death at all. God is after a circumcision of our hearts and a falling face down before him. Now, I'm expecting that all that I've said this morning, which has been um, gestating, the, this, the, the, the leadership of the church has been increasingly pregnant with all of this over the last months. Um, there's, there's quite a lot here, and the handout that you've had already says there's, there's more still to be said next week. Therefore, it is to be expected it will take a while to digest. This is not a morning for responding by just going, yeah, just yes to all of that. Maybe there's a bit of a rise of that in your heart. I want to encourage you, there's business to be done with God that's going to take time. The personal change that I've, uh, I've explained to you began for me on January the 29th, 2018. And, it, and it's still unfolding. There's a longer process that God is looking for in us than just a sort of, there we go, response of the day. So I will be unpacking the other part of this to do with the focus and the goals to which we feel God is calling us when we are here next week. But we're expecting that there will, be need, there will need to be discussion and prayer about this over the weeks and indeed months to come. We've planned for the 5th of June, which is uh, a weekday evening. I can't remember if it's a Wednesday or a Thursday, but the 5th of June to have an evening meeting here long enough in the future that there will have been time to start digesting all of these things and then to be able to come together for an evening as a church and say, well, what do we make of that? What is it that God's saying to us? And let's have a good pray into it all.